Thanks, Leanne. Good morning, everyone. The Oscar-nominated film Shawshank Redemption tells the story of a man named Andy Dufresne. Andy is accused, falsely accused of murder and is sentenced to life in prison at the Shawshank Center. Over his time there, he is assigned to work in the prison library and in one very memorable scene, he's handed a box of items that have been donated to the prison. And as he begins to go through the books, he finds some vinyl records and is so delighted to come across a real gem. He, he finds a record of Mozart's The Marriage of Figaro. And with delight, he places that record on the record player. And then in an act of defiance, he turns on the PA system so that every speaker in that institution will start to play this beautiful music. And then he sits back and and enjoys it. And as the, the music goes across the whole institution, it just absolutely captivates everyone's attention. The men in the courtyard all stop what they're doing. Their hearts have been pierced by the beauty of what they hear. The men in the woodworking shop stop. Everyone stops. They're captivated by what they hear. One fellow inmate, Red, puts it this way. I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I'd like to think that they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words, and it makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flopped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. Can you remember the last time that you experienced beauty? Beauty in a way that it pierced your heart, that it stopped you dead in your tracks. That there were, in Red's words, no no words to describe it. It made your heart ache. And perhaps, for the briefest of moments, that experience of beauty caused the walls around you, the anxieties, the problems, the fears, to dissolve away. Well, this morning, for a few moments, we're going to explore how beauty, an experience of beauty, an experience of God's beauty, can dissolve the walls in our lives, the walls of shame that would imprison us. How an experience of beauty, God's beauty, can cause us to more fully become who we were meant to be, to lean into our true selves. In Psalm 27, we read this. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord 
and to seek him in his temple. And in Ecclesiastes 3, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We're in the middle of a series, and we've been exploring the theme of finding your true self. We've been talking about how shame is so universal and powerful, and how it causes us to shrink, to hide who we truly are. And yet the power of Jesus Christ brings healing to even the most toxic shame and enables us to become who we were meant to be, to find our true selves. And this morning, just for a few moments, I want to explore this theme of of beauty. And I want to give you a little map of where we're going today. I want to talk about three things. First, the essence of beauty. What What are we talking about? Are we just talking about a purely aesthetic experience? Or is it related to our faith in some important way? Second, what are the pathways to finding God's beauty, to discovering God's beauty in our world? And third, what is the experience of, as David calls it, the beauty of the Lord? What does it mean to experience that in a way that is tangible and meaningful for us? So first, let's explore briefly at what we're talking about, the essence of beauty, Maybe you're here today and you're saying, really, a sermon on beauty? I mean, no one would doubt that beauty is a good thing, that when we see a sunset or we look into the face of someone that we love or we listen to some beautiful music, we gaze at a a beautiful painting, that that is an enjoyable experience. We know that beauty is pleasurable to our senses, but is it good for our soul? Is it connected to our life of faith in Christ. The Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky said, beauty will save the world, but surely he was exaggerating. Well, if we step back for just a moment and we look at what the ancients, ancient philosophers and Christian theologians and Christians in former years have taught us, They believed that there were three things, three universal things, three things that enabled us to transcend the ordinary, three experiences that draw us out of ourselves and in touch with with something bigger and beyond, three things that every human being was wired with that we long for and respond to, and those three things were truth, goodness, and beauty. And the Christian theologians reminded us that truth, goodness, and beauty, it wasn't that God had these things. It was that God was truth. God is goodness, and God is beauty, and that beauty spills over into our world. When we think about truth, we all long and respond to truth. When when you watch the news today, or you read something on social media, your mind is, can I trust this? I I want to know the truth. We want to know the truth even if it's painful. You want your doctor to tell you the truth. Even that's difficult news to hear. We, we all resonate and long for goodness. When we hear a story about an act of goodness in our world, something 
resonates within us and we, we long to emulate that ourselves. And so it is with beauty. Beauty which seems to universally capture our attention and as Red says, make our hearts ache. We know that beauty arouses and brings pleasure to our senses. And beauty is something we find compelling for its own sake. Beauty is, is different than usefulness. Now, I learned a little bit about the difference between beauty and usefulness when I was an undergrad. I was in, I think, my second year, and I needed to find an elective. And so I looked for the perfect GPA-boosting course. You know, something that wasn't going to be too hard that I could probably do quite well on and move those points up a little bit. And I found a class called Music Appreciation. Anyone take Music Appreciation? All right, other GPA-boosting people here. Um, And in that class, we were given a whole bunch of, of CDs. They might have been tapes, but that makes me sound old. So let's go with CDs. And we were to listen to these, and we had to identify who the composer was, what the genre was, what some of the movements were. And so there I was at home listening to this music, and then we'd, we'd go to class and we'd discuss this. And I remember my professor would, would pop in something into the CD player. He would put in Verdi, and then he would stand and he would close his eyes while the music was playing, and he would start to sway a little bit. And then he would pop in some Brahms or Vivaldi, and he would start moving around the room like he was conducting the New York Philharmonic in that moment. And he just looked completely lost in the music. And I remember being so struck by this that for my professor, this wasn't, this wasn't a job. This was a love, a joy. He was finding beauty in the music. And to be honest, I was using the music as a means to an end. But for my professor, the music was the end in and of itself. He was enjoying it for its own sake. And this is what an experience of beauty does for us. It's not about usefulness. It, it's it's the something that stands out in and of itself. Where do we experience pathways to God's beauty? Well, there's two places where we can enjoy beauty for its own sake, not for its usefulness. And the two pathways that I want to just explore briefly are in creation and in the arts. In Genesis 1.31, we read this. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. It was, it was beautiful. God creates, and then as if he stands back and just savors it for a moment. He savors the goodness, the beauty of what he has created. There's a, almost a sense of deep satisfaction in what God himself experiences after he creates And in Psalm 19, we read this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. 
They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Friends, we can experience the beauty of God. We can experience God's beauty through his created world. When we recognize that creation tells us something about our beautiful creator, it reminds us of the worth and the value of all creation. In the parable, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about anxiety, and he says this, see how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Friends, when we experience something beautiful in God's creation, we recognize that that God made that, that he made it for his own pleasure, that he made it for our enjoyment. There's some inherently beautiful and good and we can celebrate that and if you've ever felt profound wonder in the face of beauty maybe just maybe you are getting a small glimpse of what God feels when he sees you as the French mystic Simone Weil put it the beauty of the world is Christ's tender smile to us through matter you ever experienced the, the smile of God upon you as you have experienced the beauty of God's creation? Or as Gerard Manley Hopkins put it, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. The beauty and experience of beauty reminds us that God delights in his creation, including us. We can see beauty in the faces of Others, one of my, uh, two of my colleagues, Anthony and Michelle, who pastor our UBC congregation, recently were so delighted and gifted with uh, the birth of a grandson. And I get pictures two, three, four times a day from them holding their grandson. And I look at this and I go, wow, these guys are in love. Uh, I get pictures of I don't know how many grams their grandson is, uh, five pounds, so just a tiny little guy. Uh, a couple days ago, I got a picture of him wearing a Canucks little onesie, and Anthony claims that that's why the Canucks are doing well this year as they start, because of uh, their grandson. But there is such a, a, a beauty and a delight as I, I watch them enjoying their grandson. It's not about his usefulness, of course, Little Blaine does not produce anything. He does not add financially to their family. He does absolutely no chores. And yet, as I watch Anthony and Michelle look into the face of their beautiful grandson, I can see their enjoyment, and it's just a little echo of how God looks at us. How God looks at us, and when we contemplate on his creation, we can get a glimpse of the smile of God. We know that experiencing creation and art transcends our self-focus. Some of the ancient theologians taught that 
the effect that sin and shame has is that we, we curve in on ourselves. We shrink back in curvatus and say, they called it. Which it's a shame that turns us in on ourselves. And when we experience beauty, that we transcend the self-focus, our little world and our little problems. It's very common that I'll be in the middle of some project, uh, writing something, working on something complex, and I'll just feel stuck and I'll feel frustrated. And one of the best things for me to do in that moment is to take our dog Comet and to walk through the neighborhood to, in a sense, experience something beyond myself. And if you think that it's hard to find beauty around you, you know, here's a picture of the Mountain View Cemetery just, just down the road over here. This was last year. I'm not sure the, the leaves are that color just yet, but there's beauty all around us. And there's something about walking and hearing the crunch crunching of leaves under my feet and seeing the beautiful colors and watching the delight of my dog Comet as he marks every tree in the entire neighborhood. And I mean every tree. There's something that changes my perspective that gets me out of my self-focus, my preoccupation. Simone Weil said it this way, Beauty requires us to give up our imaginary position as the center. Many, many, many people experience the beauty of God, discover the beauty of God through the arts. I came across a story about King George II of Great Britain. And the story is told that he went to the opening night, the premiere of Handel's Messiah, And during that moment, as the chorus, hallelujah chorus began, the king was so deeply touched, so deeply moved by what he heard. He was experiencing beauty. He stood to his feet. It was the only way he could respond. And of course, when the king stands to his feet, everyone stands to their feet. And to this day, during the hallelujah chorus, people everywhere around the world continue to stand as they encounter beauty face to face. There's something about beauty, friends, that inspires in us gratitude and wonder and delight and awe. And as we come back to remembering as our series where we've talked about shame, we remember that shame and gratitude can't coexist at the same time. Shame is often associated with left brain activity. I know this is an oversimplification, but researchers tell us that that feelings of shame and thoughts, shameful thoughts, primarily are associated in the left hemisphere of our brain. That's where we analyze, where we self-reflect, where we self-critique where we self-blame, where things like judgment and comparison and ruminating on failures seems to happen. And yet, when we experience beauty, we live in the right side of our brain. We, with things like music and, and theater and poetry and creation and play and meditation 
and journaling help us to get comfortable in that right side of our brain where we can experience the wonder and delight and joy. So friends, as you think about experiencing God's beauty, what might be a pathway for you where you might be able to, you might be able to experience beauty? Well, finally, I want to come to the last thing that I want to talk about is the beauty of all beauties. To experience the beauty of God himself. Listen to Psalm 27 again. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. David is saying that there's something that he is particularly drawn to, and that is the greatest beauty, the source of all beauty, the Lord himself. Now, sometimes when we read scriptures, we might form a picture in our mind. You know, it must be nice for David to be the king, to be enjoying lots of leisurely time, playing a harp, having his needs met to, and just have time to reflect on the beauty. Isn't that wonderful? But if we were to dig a little deeper into the context of Psalm 27, we would see that David is in serious trouble, that he is being threatened, that enemies are besieging him, his city, his kingdom, that he is in a mess. His life is in danger. David's circumstances are not beautiful. David's circumstances are ugly. And in the midst of struggle and pain, he asks for one thing. As we read Psalm 27, it might be helpful to ask ourselves, what is one thing that you would ask of God? What, as you think about your life right now, is, is one thing, if you could ask God very directly, right here, right now, what would you ask him for? What is the one thing that you need? Perhaps we might be tempted to say, God, if you could take care of some of these circumstances in my life, God, I have some incredibly pressing needs. I have some walls that have surrounded me and they are ugly. I have some incredible challenges and difficulties. God, if you could take care of the messy circumstances right now, that is the one thing that I would ask of you. Deliver me. Get me out of this mess that I found myself in. And it would make sense if David also prayed this, and yet I'm struck by this. David says, in the midst of being threatened, every circumstance around me pressing in and almost being threatened and fearful and anxious and being crushed, here's what David says. God, there is one thing that I need, and there is one thing that I ask of you. It is to be close to you, to, to dwell in your house. God, help me to see and to gaze upon your beauty. 
Could it be that the most important thing that we need is not that God solves all the problems around us or in our own lives or in our family lives? Friends, could it be that the one thing that we need is to gaze upon the beauty of God? To come again in a fresh way to experience the beauty of his power and his majesty and his splendor and his grace and his forgiveness and his mercy, his compassion. Could it be to once again come face to face with the living God and saying, God, you're not a means to another end. You are the end, period. The most important thing for me is to come face to face with you. Jonathan Edwards, the brilliant American theologian of the 18th century, said this, said, a religious person finds God useful. A follower of Christ finds God beautiful. The beauty of the Lord is to come once again to desiring that one thing. God, you're not the means to another end. You're not the means to a comfortable life, to a pain-free life, to a successful life. You're not a means to any end. You are the end. Friends, could it be that something rises up within us that says, Lord, one thing I ask is to dwell in your presence, to be close to you, I serve you, I obey you, I follow you, not for some other reason, but just to be close to you. That is enough. That is the one thing that I need. This week, I had an experience that was somewhat unexpected. It was Wednesday afternoon, and I had been reflecting on this Psalm 27 And recognizing perhaps that my own bias is to live a little bit too much in the left brain activity. Analyzing, strategizing, planning. All good things, of course. But sometimes it's a little hard for me to get into that right brain stuff. And on a Wednesday afternoon as I was reflecting and probably feeling a bit overwhelmed of so many complex things that are going on, things that I had to do, deadlines... I got home, and my wife, Brandy, reminded me that we're going to a concert tonight downtown. And when I remembered that, my heart sank a little bit, because I was like, ah, there's just so much stuff going on. I wonder how I can get out of this. Um, It was raining. We had to find parking. It was lots of people everywhere. And yet, we got to this concert. It was a concert by Sanctuary Mental Health. Some of you were there, I know. You're going to hear more about Sanctuary in the upcoming weeks. They're going to be here to share with us as we go into a new series on the gospel and mental health. But there I was. I really had no expectations of what, was, what I was going to experience. And the music started. And something happened in that moment as they were singing the beauty These beautiful songs, it was aesthetically pleasing, yes, but there was 
truth. They were singing about the beauty of who God is. They were sharing some testimonies. And one song in particular, based on Matthew 11, that they began to sing, which struck me so deeply. And this was the song. Take it easy. Easy. God already loves you completely. Take it easy. Easy. Rest in the shade of his wings. Lay down your burdens and rest for a while. The shepherd who seeks you is gentle and kind. There's nothing to pay for and nothing to earn. And nothing you have to become. So lay down the scales where you weigh out your life. The measures are empty, so just leave them behind. The distance between his two hands are enough to tell you the depths of his love. And as these, these, this music, these words, these powerful and beautiful truths begin to wash over that, that whole audience there, it, it struck me so deeply. I don't know if the air was dry or I got something stuck in my eye, but there was leaking happening, significant. Thankfully, the lights were all dark. I could, no one saw too much of that, but it's just touched me so deeply. Is We could listen to a thousand sermons. Those would be good. You can read books. Those are so important and powerful, but there's something about the way that music, the arts, gets past those walls that we set up. We know God loves us. We know that in our head, but, but sometimes there's a wall and we don't experience that. Could it be that the one thing we most need, the one thing that you most need, is to once again experience the beauty of the Lord? We sometimes think that being a follower of Christ is believing the right things, behaving the right way, having our theology correct, all important things. But maybe the most important thing is falling in love with Christ, being compelled and attracted to the beauty of all beauties, the beauty of who God is, the beauty of Christ himself. Each Sunday, we take an opportunity to come forward to receive communion, to take a moment to reflect on the beauty of the Lord himself. So as you come, may your prayer be, Lord, there is one thing I ask of you today and only one thing I seek, to dwell in your house all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come this morning now to gaze upon the beauty of the cross. Ironic because the cross is a symbol of ugliness and violence and death. And yet, Jesus, 
you hung on that cross absorbing sin and shame for us. And so it is not ugly. It's the most beautiful of all. As we come, may you remind us, get past the walls that we set up, the walls of shame, the other walls that we erect in our lives that that keep you at a distance. May your beauty find a way around. Open our eyes to your beauty today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.